0: Episode number 16. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. This week's Torah portion is Bemidbar, and the subject is going to be how to be wise. Next, we're going to have a powerful parable From the Bamid Rabbah, talking about starting with a blank slate. After that would be a great story about the Chazanis' respect for our teachers. Last but not least, peace in our home. Do not be a (laughs) tyrant. This week's Parsha, Bamidbar, starts out with a Midrash. The Midrash rabbi says like this. The Pasik says, the verse says, Hashem el Bamidbar Sinai. Hashem spoke to Moshe in the Midbar. The Midrash says that from here we learn that the Torah was given with three things. What were they? Be'ish U'bamayim, U'bamidbar. They were given with fire. The Torah was given with fire. And the Torah was given with water. And the Torah was also given in the desert. The Midrash continues and says, Why was the Torah given with these three things? What, that these things are all free? the call for everybody? So too these three things were given for free. Fire, water, and the desert. That was before the water company and electricity company. But it was given for free. Free for the taking. And the Pasach says, they bring a verse that says, Who's ever thirsty, go to water. And even if you don't have any money, go and buy and eat. And go without money, without a price, buy milk and wine. That's what the Pasik says from Yeshiao. It's talking about that the Torah is free for everybody. Anybody who wants to learn the Torah can learn the Torah. It's free. So now I'm going to discuss these three things based on the Sefer Ohel Yaakov. It says like this Man has opposite forces inside of himself. He has arrogance on one side, on the other side, he could be humble. Mercy can be merciful, on the other side, he could be very cruel. The man could have tremendous love, or he could have tremendous hate. And all these things are all mixed together. So it's man's job to decide when and with how much to use them. This is the concept of Midos, character traits. And the word Midos in Hebrew means measurements. Character means measuring what you do. You could be a little bit angry, a lot angry. Sometimes you have to act angry. Sometimes you can be humble, very much humble, or a little bit humble. It depends. Each thing, each moment, each new situation that Hashem gives us requires us to act with our character, with our mitos. And that means we have to measure our emotional status. In modern terms, it would be called emotional management. Managing your emotions, managing how you act. The problem is it's all these character traits are mixed up inside of ourselves. And not only that, it's not so clear what, which character is which. I give you a little story. One time I went to a burial of an older woman who was not religious. And the religious people there were burying this woman. And the sister of this woman who's also not religious, she was saying, Look how cruel these rabbis are. They're putting the dirt on the on my sister and they're each giving another a chance to do it. In other words, by the barrel, usually you, you take the shovel, you put the dirt on the dead person, then you put the shovel down, and the next person comes and picks it up. Why? Because it's a mitzvah. So she looked at that mitzvah and says it was cruel. How cruel can these people be? It really it's just the opposite. It's kindness. We know, for example, if there is a dead body found in a field somewhere and you bury that body, that's called chesed Hemis. It's the highest level of kindness that a human being can do because he doesn't get anything in return. You're just doing the mitzvah of chesed, of kindness for the person, and you're not getting anything back. So even a meter which appears to be kind, another person can determine to be cruel. Another example of that would be maybe somebody's kid wants a third ice cream. So on one side, you'll say, give it to the kid, be kind to the kid. (laughs) Who says that's kind? You're being cruel to the kid. He's going to wind up with a stomachache. So it's not clear which, which is which. So first of all, has to be, a person has to study and understand what's cruel and what's kind, what's love and what's hate. And then secondly, in using these character traits, we have to use them in measurement, in the proper measurement. You can't overreact or underreact. So the Ohel Yaakov goes on to explain, in man, you have two major categories of character. For example, desire and being satisfied person has tremendous desire for things. He wants to be rich. He's a go-getter. gets up early in the morning, very driven. And you have another type of personality where he's laid back. He's happy. He's happy with what he has. He doesn't have to go out and be the king of the world. He doesn't have to be famous. He's happy with what he has. So in terms of acquiring the Torah, and we're talking about the week before Shavuos, and acquiring the Torah, accepting the Torah, we need to execute these two characters. On one side... If we have desires for the world, all kinds of things, we want physical things, we have to be rich and we're running after women and we're running after all kinds of things of the physical world, that has to be toned down. So that character trait is comparable to fire, burning, the burning inside of a person. So how do you handle burning? You put some water on it to calm it down. So he wants to say that's, that's part of the Midrash. In order to receive the Torah, if a person has a drive, has tremendous fire for the world, he has to put a little bit of water, water on it in order for him to be successful as a religious person. On the other hand, if the guy is very laid back and he's not driven and he has no goals, he's also not gonna be able to receive the Torah. It's hard work to receive Torah. A person has to sit and discipline himself and work hard and uh, spend time learning into the wee hours of the night. So that person, he's more like water, but in order to conquer that, he has to put a little wood on the fire. He has to get his internal fire burning. The Pusik says, if you will seek it like silver and hunt for it like treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. That's the Pasek in Mishli, the famous Pasek. You shall seek it like silver. In other words, Torah learning requires that a person runs after it the way a person runs after money. He's going to have to work hard to get that wisdom. And that's the quality of fire. I just want to bring a famous Gemara. I couldn't find it, but I remember it. And it says like this, that the Jews were given an extra measure of chutzpah. If you want to know why Jews are chutzpah, it's written here in the Gemara where they are. The Gemara says, among the plant life, the sloth, the caper bush has the most chutzpah. The caper bush just grows into like a wild weed. You can't stop it from growing. In the world of birds, the chicken has the most chutzpah. He runs around like a wild chicken. You ever try to catch a chicken, it's almost impossible. In the world of animal, the animal king, the nemo, the leopard, has the most chutzpah. He will do things that are dangerous the things that other animals won't do. And among people, the Jewish people have the most chutzpah of all the people. So why do we have this extra chutzpah? Why did God give us extra chutzpah? So it says the Torah is like fire. It says the Torah is like fire. We need a fire. We need an internal fire to fight that fire. So God gave us a special drive in order to be able to learn Torah. And it says if the Torah was not given, if the fire of the Torah was not given, then the fire that the Jews had would take over the entire world. The nations are right. The nations are right. They say we're taking over the world. This goes on not directly. Our energies in the proper place. We should be directly our energies towards God and towards the service of God and learning Torah. And then the fire goes into the right place. But if not, it goes to, in to start to take over the world. So if you want to know where anti-Semitism is coming, it's coming from us. So now when it comes to fire, when it comes to water, And you have a little bit too much fire, you got to put some water on it. You have a little bit too much water, you have to put some fire on it. So these concepts are called Moshe Barucho. A man is overcoming his tendencies. He uses the opposite character to overcome his natural tendencies. But what's happening is there is still a certain suffering the person's going through in order to do the right thing. In other words, the person who's not driven, who's not goal-oriented, it takes him tremendous energy to get himself out of bed in the morning early to go learn. So we would call that self-control. He's using these powers inside of himself to overcome his tendency. On the other hand, if a person has tremendous drive, but he's using it in the wrong direction, he's running after the wrong things, he will also need to water it down, but he's going to suffer having this self-control. So those two levels are the levels of fire and the levels of water that the Midrash are speaking about. But there's another level above that, and that's called Midbar, the desert. What's the third thing why God gave us the Torah in the desert? So the actual place where the Torah was given has the highest quality. He brings a Gemara in the Darm that says like this, One should make himself like a desert which is ownerless, free to all, and the Torah will be given to him as a gift. The desert is Hefker, Hefke means ownerless. If a person views himself as ownerless, if his character is ownerless, a a tremendous level of humility, so that's when the person is going to receive the Torah as a gift. And this is the higher level of fire or water. Why? Because the Rambam explains in the Shemonei Prachim in chapter 6, that when it comes to unhealthy things that a person, that he can overcome them completely, that's a higher level. For example, if a person gets insulted, one person will get insulted and have to try very hard to keep his mouth shut. Another person can get insulted and he doesn't even feel it. He doesn't know about it. He doesn't care about it. It doesn't mean anything to him. He knows that everything comes from God. He's not offended at all. He doesn't hold by himself in that way. Let that person think what they think. That level, that's like Midbar. That's like the desert, that the person is hefkir, he's ownerless. That level is the highest level. He brings a pasuk from David Agimelech who says like this, Ki ani veevyon anochi ve'libi chalau For I am poor and needy and my heart has died within me. The David Melech was on such a level it was as if he was dead in terms of his humility. This breaking, of the, it's called shviras amidos the breaking of the character. Breaking of the character is really what's needed in order to receive God's holy Torah. Because we're physical and we want to become spiritual. It's only identification with the physical world. You're over my kavod and you said this to me and you said that to me. It's all these physical things that are making us so upset. But the higher level would be to be like the desert and Hefker and ownerless like the desert. And Rav Chaim Shmuel Levitch wants to bring a couple of proofs that the breaking of the character is the eker for receiving the Torah. He brings one proof by Purim. We know that by Haman, that the decree of Haman scared the Jewish people so much that they became closer to each other. There became a oneness between the Jewish people. And we know that that led to accepting the Torah of Ba'ava with love. Another example of this is a Gemara Menachos. is like this. Aviva could not recall one of his tractates. He couldn't remember his learning. He went to Revchista, his disciple. He, the Rebbe went to the disciple to ask him to remind him of his learning. So the Gemara asks, so why didn't he send for his disciple to come to him? He's the Rebbe. Why does he send for the disciple? Because he felt if he went to his disciple, he'd be more successful. He would understand better. In other words, the breaking of his character would help him to understand the Torah even more. He brings another proof from Vayikra Rabbi, just like this. When a pauper and a smart person meet, Hashem enlightens the two of them. When a wealthy man and a pauper meet, Hashem has made them both. So what is it talking about? A person who has knowledge and learning. And Torah and the other person doesn't have knowledge he says so when those two meet and one teaches the other they both become enlightened on the other hand if the poor person poor in learning asks the, the other the teacher to teach him and he refuses and he says go learn with people of your own standard then it says that Hashem has made them both in other words the one who has made the rich man learn he can make him stupid and he can also make the ignorant, ignorant one learn he can switch things around so we see that if the, break, if the person are together and they have good character, one with the other, they both become smart. If, on the other hand, they don't have good character, God will take away the wisdom of the smart one. So what do we see from this? We see that the breaking of the mitos is an essential quality to gaining wisdom. In order for us to be spiritual and wise, we need to be humble. And the highest level of this is when a person actually overcame his bare character traits. There's a verse in Mishlei 1911, that says like this. It is good sense for a man to be slow to anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. And Rashi explains there that he passes over his retaliation. In other words, he completely forgives the other person. It's like the other person didn't even get him angry. Which we set up to now is the quality of the desert completely ownerless. So the question now is, how does a person work on his character to the point where he overcomes it completely? We know what happens in people. For example, let's say a person decides not to smoke anymore. So it was very hard for him. What happened? There was a there's a tipping point. There's something happens in a person. I know you hear many stories, a person goes to the hospital or he sees something and it just shocks him and it just wakes him up. At that point, his intelligence understands that smoking is really dangerous and maybe he's in danger, so he stops to smoke. So the point really is is where the intellect penetrates the heart. When the intellect penetrates the heart, the person changes. You have the same thing. For example, in some homes, they would never speak lush and hard. They would never speak bad about other people. It's just something beyond them. The children would say, oh, God forbid, I would never do such a thing. And that was because they had an upbringing where the parents never spoke bad about people. On the other hand, those kids maybe steal. Another house... They never steal. They will never steal. The parents never steal. Well, you know, every the, the, uh, little kid, he tries to steal. So what usually happens? Hopefully it happens. And he's a 10 years old. and He steals the candy. He gets caught. And it's such a shock that he never does it again. And Oiva avoided the kid who never gets caught. He could become a thief his entire life. But what happened to that little kid when he got caught? His, he, his intellect, he understood emotionally. It went from his, from his head to his heart. Hey, I can't do this. This is not right. People don't accept this behavior. I'm going to have to change. Though when the intellect penetrates the heart, the person changes. Rav Yusuf Salanter, the famous words of Rav Yusuf Salanter, he says, What is Musr? What is learning about character traits? What's the taqlis? What's the purpose? When the heart feels what the mind knows, when the heart feels what the mind knows, the person's going to change. Until then, it's always a struggle. He's always fighting with himself. He's doing the wrong thing. He's always fighting with his tendencies to be lazy or his tendencies to run after women or his tendency. He's always fighting with himself. But at a certain point, you say in Hebrew, the asimon falls, the coin falls. The little telephone call would would fall and and it clicks in the person's mind. I cannot behave this way. I can't act that way. And, And after that, it's easy. But for all of us, it's a tremendous struggle in the places that are difficult for us. So how do we work on it? What can we do in order to overcome these difficult spots in our personality? So I want to bring the Shem Shashmuel, who brings down the Gemara in Shabbos. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, What is the meaning of the verse? His cheeks are like a bed of fragrant spices. And Shira Shurim. So the Gemara says, With each one of the Ten Commandments that God spoke, the whole world was filled with fragrant spices. In other words, when the Jews heard the Ten Commandments at Sinai, the world started to get filled up with incense and spices, unbelievable spiritual smells coming into the world. So we know that at Har Sinai, Hashem moved, removed the Zahumah, the impurities of the Jewish people, he removed from them in order for them to receive the Torah. So, where did that Zahumah come from? It came from the, from the sin of Adam Arishon. When Adam sinned, what came into the world? Death. Death came into the world. When the Jews received the Torah, they received the possibility of life, eternal life. A person who does mitzvahs and learns Torah would get eternal life. That came back into the world. Before that, man would live forever. He lived eternally. The sin of Adam, that left the world. So he brings down from B'nai Yisaka like this. He says, the sin of Adam Rishon had all the senses involved, the five senses, except for the sense of smell. And he brings a bit of a drusha, but it says like this. It says, the woman saw, she saw, that was the eyes, that the tree was good to eat, that's the taste, and it was desirable to the sight, and she took, she took, she touched it from the fruit and she ate, and she heard the voice of God. So there you have four of the senses. The one sense that was missing was smell. And we know that the sense of smell is the most spiritual sense. So the Mashiach is going to have a tremendous sense of smell. He'll be, able to smell the, he'll be able to smell people to see who they are. So why at Hart Sinai, when we received the Torah in the Midbar, in the desert, there was a, such a tremendous smell there? Because that smell was never tainted. We were trying to rectify the sin of Adam Arishon, of the first man. The Jews could have rectified that sin at the time of the receiving of the Torah. The thing that was never damaged was the smell, the sense of smell. So that sense of smell was there. So he says a beautiful Chil series he says like this. He says, God gave us that as the starting point, the part of us that was never sullied, that was never dirty, the part of us that stayed clean. He says, self-rectification has to start from an unsullied point. This may be very hard, but if one searches deeply inside of himself, his spiritual makeup, he will find some element of his character which is totally pure. Only from there, the ability to improve can spread to the rest of the personality. This is a beautiful idea. The question is, how do we overcome our bad character traits which have been plaguing us our entire lives? The starting point is to find the point of purity inside of yourself. Everybody has a different point. Some person is very humble. Some person is very giving. Some person is very excited. Some person is very loving. Some person is very kind. Find that point inside of yourself and build on it. When a person can develop that pure quality even more, it will start to spread into the other parts of his personality. I've heard this idea before in Chazal, but here I saw it written. And it's tremendously encouraging. Because every person, no matter how low they are, has what's called the Pintelayid, the spark of holiness inside of himself. And this could be in the foundation for your spiritual growth. And as it spreads into other parts of your personality, you won't have to put fire or you won't have to add water become like the desert, which is ownerless and pure. And we'll be able to receive the Torah in the proper way. In this week's powerful parable, I want to bring a Midrash rabbi that says like this. Another quality that's connected with making ourselves like a desert to be able to receive the Torah, is this idea that the desert is completely empty. You go into a desert, there's nothing there. So too, a person's intellect has to be desert-like, free of foreign elements, in order for the Torah to go in. And for order for us to appreciate and to hear the Torah, we have to clean our minds out of all the nonsense that we've been given up to now. So the Midrash has a beautiful parable for this. He says like this, a king conquered a new country. This new king comes in. He wants to take over the entire country, and he wants his law to be implemented. So therefore, he's going to go and visit the different towns that he overcame to see the people. So he goes to this one big city, and he's expecting a uh, cheering crowd to come out. Nobody shows up. They did a little research. What happened? Why, why nobody came? He says, now, this city, listen, had a lot of rich people in it. And they were scared that the king is going to tax them so they all they don't want to show up, or they were also dishonest in their dealings and they're scared of the king maybe he's going to punish them. He says okay, fine, I'll go to another city. He goes to another city, big city. he's waiting for the people to come out, to have the big entourage that the king is coming. Nobody shows up. King says, this is bizarre. I don't know what's going on. So he thinks to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to do a little research here. I'm going to go to another city where I know the people are a little bit more desolate, a little bit poor people, common people. I'll go to that city. There, I'll get the proper welcome. So the king goes there. They're rejoicing. Everybody's singing. They have hope for the future. They know that the king's going to rebuild their city, their wrecked homes, and their farms, whatever happened during the war. And they're all very happy. So the midger says similarly. Hashem, God wanted to give the Torah at the Red Sea. He said, but what happened is the sea ran away. Why? Because we know there was an idol worship from the Egyptians. It says Balsaphon was there on the side of the Egyptian side of the sea. There was idol worship, so the, 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 the sea didn't want to be around when God came around. So God said, you know what? Maybe I'll give the Torah on the mountains. So it says now, the Pussik says, the mountains skipped away like rams. Now, why is that? Because we know if you go to any of these countries, when went to Italy, I was in Italy, you go up the top of a mountain, there is a uh, idol worship. There's a statue up there. So they don't want to be around the mountains. When it, they don't want to be around when God came. So finally he said, you know what? I'm going to give the Torah in the Midbar. And in the Midbar received the Torah without fear or shame, for it was totally bare, unblemished by any stain of idol worship. And that's why God chose the desert. What do we learn from this? We learn in order to receive the Torah... We need to be like a midbar in a different aspect, which is our mind needs to be clean. We have to appreciate what the Torah has to offer. We don't think we're filled up with all of our philosophies and all of our politics and all of our ideas. What's right and what's wrong. There's no way we're going to be able to receive the Torah to hear what it has to say. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. I want to tell a great story about the Chazanish. Chazanish was the Garu of the generation before, the leader of the Torah generation. And he said like this, you always have to have the proper reverence when referring to Torah teachers in the writing, including those of even recent generations. He says, he quote, quote, he says like this, it is incumbent upon us to exercise caution when being critical of our teachers' opinions. You're always able to express your opinion in an honorable way when attempting to refute the proof for what's being said. But a person should only take pleasure... From the intellectual side of what's being said. On the other side. Let's say he has a good kasha, difficulty with what that rabbi said. So he can get pleasure in the difficulty, but God forbid he should get pleasure from putting that rabbi down. He said he was very dismayed. One time he read a, a, a book that said that the Magen Avram was lacking substance. He says, Chas God forbid the Chazanish wrote. The Magyan's Avram words were clear and forthright. In other words, none of our great rabbis. Said anything Stam, there's a tremendous amount of thought that went into what was being written. Anybody who came into the Torah world that we read his books means he was a tremendous person. A person has to give a lot, a lot of honor to that person and respect when reading his words. Ah, you don't understand it. So the Chazal says, if the Torah is rake, it's your emptiness. If you don't understand something in the Torah, what the rabbis are saying, it means you're empty. You better check yourself out and realize and think why he was saying it, why that person, why that rabbi said that way. You have to think deeper into it, not disrespect it. So the Mo'gan Avram, he was our teacher, and we're all his disciples. Praiseworthy are those who truly merit being counted among his among his disciples. You see, from here, the Torah learning requires the proper respect. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is peace in your home. I now want to bring another commandment of marriage. It seems like there's more than 10 commandments here. There's a lot of them. But, so, this one is also from Rev. Vigdemil. It says, do not be a tyrant. It says, this, this commandment is frequently disobeyed. For example, let's say a woman works. We know, according to the Gemara, if a woman works, the money belongs to her husband. For example, when the husband takes responsibility for the house, he gives food, share kusus really, so that money that... She works really belongs to him. But he says, we don't go according to the halach when it comes to these things. A man has to loosen up a little bit. He has to know that the money that the woman worked hard for, she has to have some say in that money. You have to give her a little bit of leeway. But another case of a man not trusting his wife's shopping ability. God forbid. He just refused to eat. He's scared to let his wife go out and shop. Didn't trust her. Said she was the only among her friends who was not allowed to shop. Her husband's a tyrant. You're a tyrant. What do you care about the few dollars a week, that the difference that she's going to spend? Let the woman, that's called being a tyrant. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's arrogant. A man doesn't marry to make his wife into a slave. On the other hand, sometimes you have women that are also tyrants, a little bit too domineering. He said he spoke to somebody, he says, everything, the guy comes and says, everything I do is because I'm afraid of my wife. So his wife happened to call him and ask him, says, I want to separate from my husband. I want to find what's going on. I think he's cheating on me. He says, I'll tell you what's going on. He's afraid of you. And you have to change your ways. If you want to become close with him, you have to act sincerely and stop being a Boise tyrant. Usually the man is a tyrant, but sometimes a wife could be a tyrant when it comes to details. And he concludes like this, the husband is a captain and the wife is the first mate. But a captain who tramples on the first mate is asking for mutiny. It's true the husband runs the house, but if he bosses his wife around too much, you're going to wind up with a case of mutiny. I'll just hand this off with a joke about being a tyrant. It says one time, the joke goes that when people get to them, when men get to the next world, there's two lines. There's one line of the men who were henpecked, and there was one line of the men who were really men. So we, it gets to the have get to have. And you see all the men lined up in the line that they were henpecked, that their wife was driving them crazy their whole lives. And there's another guy in the the line of the real men, the people who are not henpecked by their wives. So one guy in the line with all the henpecked wives, he says, I got to go speak to this guy. I want to find out what happened here. He gets to the guy. He says, how did you do it? I don't understand. How did you? Why are you standing in this line? He says, oh, my wife told me to stand here. (laughs) Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it. Please comment. Sign up for the email list. I hope you enjoyed it. And please have a great Shabbos and a great Shavuos. Kabbalah Satera. We are coming to Shavuos soon. The time to accept the Torah. So everyone should have a great Shavuos also. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.